Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Rhode Island Church and State. I'm with my wife, Jessica. Say hello. Hola. Oh, hey, trying out your Spanish. That's, That's great. Portuguese. Oh, but what? okay. Hola? Yeah, bon dia, hola. Okay, yeah. Well, they, they play, I mean, they play together in the same sandbox. They're pretty close languages, right? You're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> uh, today, we're, we're going to look at uh, a follow-up. Uh, there's not many times we do this, but we wanted to follow up on Rhode Island's state of the state response. So if you remember way back in February 6th, uh, then Governor Gina Raimondo gave the state of the state to a largely empty General Assembly. And that same night, <laughs> largely we, empty with three people in the chamber. Yeah, yeah it, uh-huh. it was kind of uh, it was tough to watch. It was a little awkward. But that same night, uh, you provided the uh, state of the state response, which is supposed to be an out, a, a um, Republican response to the state of the state, and uh, yeah. and also gave you a chance to outline some of the priorities that you and other Republicans would be sharing over the next year. Uh, and now we're about six months later. Uh, so I thought today we could uh, follow up on that response and provide an update regarding where the state is at and some of the things that you outlined. I remember you you kind of hammered out uh, five things that you wanted to talk about. So mm-hmm. I thought today we'd uh, we'd cover those. Yeah. So you feeling good about it? I do. I feel good about it. I I think we made um, some some gains, mm-hmm. and uh, it it was. The Republican response, so it's for both caucuses in the Senate and the House. Right. Um, so yeah, the first one was first um, one. We'll we'll play the clip, yeah, right? Good idea. And this one, uh, in this one, you're outlining uh, the uh, hope for accountability and oversight in the executive executive branch. So let's play the clip, and then we'll respond. First, we need to restore accountability and oversight. A governor's emergency power was always meant to be limited. However the legislature's refusal to reconvene or conduct basic oversight of the governor allowed continual unilateral and unchecked power by the executive branch, which is tasked with enforcing the law, not making it. So Jess, uh, give us an update. How did, uh, how did the Republicans do in trying to provide more accountability and oversight to the executive branch during times of emergency? Yeah, Senator Rogers of Foster sponsored the legislation. A Republican. Yes, a very good Republican in Foster. So if you're in Foster, um, count yourself very lucky for having a great senator. Um, His bill was S-255. And just if you're looking for any of these uh, pieces of legislation that I'm going to mention, you can find them on the Rhode Island uh, legislature's website. Um, So he submitted a bill. And let me quote it here. It says, this act would limit the governor to one 30-day renewal of declaration of emergency without a joint resolution from the General Assembly. So right now, the governor uh, in the state of emergency can continue to renew executive powers every 30 days. And they don't need any any, uh, 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 interaction with the General Assembly? Okay. And are we still technically in a state of emergency? we still are. Wow. Not in a full state of emergency, but... It's been well over a year. A year and a half almost? I mean, wow. So here's the thing. Instead of passing Senator Rogers' bill as a standalone bill, similar language was adopted into the budget. Not... um, obviously was, I don't think, as as good as Senator Rogers' bill, but it was adopted into the budget. So 
I count that as a win for Senator Rogers and for Republicans in the state house, because that's something that we saw that was needed. And our colleagues on the other side of the aisle saw that as well. But why adopt it into the budget? It should, I mean, this is, uh, should have been into the general laws. This, this would, you know, be it, a, a check in, on the yeah. executive branch. It's in the laws. Okay. Uh, but here's the thing. I mean, I hear what you're saying and it's exactly how I feel because I hate when things end up in a budget that shouldn't be in the budget. Yeah. It's like what Washington does when they stick pork into a bill because it has no chance of passing on its own. And usually it's a bad bill. Mm -hmm. But this one's not a bad bill. Exactly. This is actually a good bill, but it shouldn't be in the budget. It's not because he's a Republican, I hope. Let's hope not. But you're suspicious, you sound. Um, you, all right. Well, the good news voice? is, well, the good news is though, uh, there is now oversight. All right. So we now have a little more accountability and oversight on the executive branch. Let's move on to the second, um, the second thing that you outlined in the Republican response, and that was the designated support act. Uh, let's play the clip. Secondly, we must do everything we can to manage and end this pandemic, but we cannot do it at the expense of basic human dignity. Throughout the past 11 months, we've all heard many stories, heart-wrenching stories of families denied access to their loved ones. All right, Jessica, give us an update on the Designated Support Act, um, making sure that some of these nursing home residents actually have an advocate or an emotional support, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family member, friend, be able to come in and visit with them. That would seem to be an important issue, something that you were hearing about. Um, and I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. have been working on it. So what, uh, what's happened? In Rhode Island, has this changed? Well, you're right. I did hear a lot about it and uh, things came in waves. The first wave was, I can't visit my family member. My family doesn't member doesn't understand why I can't visit them. My family member is deteriorating rapidly and I'm not going to be able to say goodbye. So that was the first wave. The second wave was unemployment, but those were heart wrenching conversations with individuals because it was solely up to the executive branch and not up to the legislative branch. So there was very little that we could do because we weren't even convening as, as a body. So my version of the bill uh, essentially said that during any public health emergency or state of emergency where um, visitation rights are suspended, that the patient would be allowed to designate one person to come and visit them in the, safely. You know, we're not going to put anyone in danger. So it had to be a safe visit. Right. Um, ultimately, um, my bill didn't even get a hearing. Is this because you're a Republican again? Like, like what happened to Gordon, uh, Senator Rogers? You don't want to go there. I got it. Okay. Uh, but it did pass. So there was a... Okay. I don't know. We, we should ask, right? I'm going to... Once we reconvene in the fall, it's going to be a question I ask. Okay. Why didn't I get a hearing? Right. Uh, but the, the, this thing did uh, pass uh, yes. Senator Lombardi's version Senator of it, right? Lombardi. Okay. Uh, he asked a me Democrat. to... A co- Democrat. Mm-hmm. A good guy. Um, he asked me to co-sponsor... Uh, as well as other senators, but um, the two Republican senators that were co-sponsors were myself and Senator Algier. Um, what does it do? So the bill um, also states that during a declaration of emergency um, that you can designate somebody as your essential caregiver, meaning that individual, a family member or a friend can come and visit you um, if you're a resident of a nursing home, a long-term care facility, a group home, whatever um, facility that you're at, that this person would be able to come and provide you with physical and emotional support. Good. All right. So that uh, we, we got somewhere with that one as well. So yes. we have 
your first priority, getting some more accountability in the executive branch check, and then designated support act, making sure these folks in nursing homes and other places are not left there alone, but they can actually have emotional support. Another check. That's two wins. That's awesome. Uh, let's look at the third one, uh, which would be the charter school moratorium. That was a big one. Let's play the clip. While many Rhode Island schools were already failing, the pandemic has only exasperated a terrible situation. A little over a year ago, the John Hopkins report revealed the failure of Providence Public Schools, ranking it among the worst in the nation. This needs to change. Students have one chance. And this is why Republicans vigorously oppose the proposed charter school moratorium. These charter schools have been the one of the few bright spots for many urban children. Yet, some of our leaders want to halt that progress. Rhode Island families deserve more choice and ownership over their child's education. Whether it's their school choice, educational freedom, or an educational savings account, Republicans have repeatedly affirmed that access to a quality education is the civil rights issue of our time. We can no longer allow a child's zip code or a family's wealth to determine the quality of their education. Okay, Jessica, charter schools, that was a big issue that you were hearing about when you were in uh, uh, operating as a ex-officio member in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what happened with uh, charter schools? So for those of you who don't know what that means, ex-officio, is that in my role as a the minority whip, I am an ex-officio member of all committees, meaning I'm a member of all committees. So two that I'm committed to that I have to go to, and then ex-officio, meaning I can pop in. Um, whenever it need be or the situation arises. So um, the charter school moratorium, that was not heard in my committee, but because of my ex officio capacity, I went in um, to hear the uh, testimony. And let me tell you, also very sad to hear because you had parents, students, and grandparents call in begging senators to not pass this legislation. I remember you came home that day just sharing some heartbreaking stories and people calling in begging, just absolutely begging. Mm -hmm. Many of them not even English speaking, you speaking know, speaking in Spanish, right. testifying in Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Just begging the state not to do this. So what uh, what happened um, six months later? Where are we? Is there a moratorium on charter schools? Well, it did pass the Senate. I mean, with with ease, it was uh, overwhelming support. I wow. think we've got one Democrat to vote with us support, against. Supporting the moratorium, in other words, exactly. ending uh, funding towards charter schools. For new charter schools and expansion. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. What about in the House? So fortunately, this was something that did not pass the House, and it was something that the governor stated that he would veto if the legislation passed both chambers. Did he state he would veto it before or after it passed the House? Well, it never passed the House. I, I'm sorry, before it or after it came up for a vote in the House, because I'm wondering if that influenced the vote. Um, I came, I believe, and if I'm remembering correctly, it came after the Senate passed it in the House. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So there was probably a little bit of what you're saying right there is mm -hmm. that there might have been some influence. Right. So, um, yeah. And then also just quickly, there was a grassroots group that popped up sending out mailers and districts of senators who were in support of the legislation. I remember that people were talking about primarying or running against exactly. Democrats yep. uh, who supported a moratorium because it's just, it's something, one of those things that has wide support, like 75% of people believe in school choice and Especially charter schools. Especially among minority groups. 
Yeah, and urban urban mm-hmm. residents, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if Providence has such bad schools, you know, I, I know a lot of good teachers trying to do their best there, but if the schools are failing, we need to give these parents an option. They don't have five or 10 years to wait for the Providence school system to, you know, kind of get its act together. Right. So, um, so charter schools um, see, remain a, um, a source of hope for these parents, and it looks mm-hmm. like it's not going anywhere anywhere this uh, this year. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that we'll count that as another win. All right. So that's three Woo-hoo. wins. Awesome. Okay. The fourth issue that uh, the state of the state response addressed was the small businesses. Uh, let's play the clip so that our uh, listeners can uh, hear what you were advocating for. Fourth, to say the 2020 was a tough year for small businesses is a gross understatement. The heart of Rhode Island's economy has been shattered with as many as 40% of Rhode Island's small businesses closing last year. This represents lost wages, lost health insurance, and broken dreams. Our state diverted federal monies to shore up the state budget instead of prioritizing these small businesses. Republicans will fight to make sure that any future federal relief monies are distributed to where they belong, in our neighborhood small businesses. All right, Jess, what's the state of small businesses in Rhode Island, even in the midst of the pandemic? So small businesses are still struggling, but um, what I had said in the uh, state of the state response was that future federal funds to help small business owners that we should be, that not we should be, that we'd be advocating for small businesses. And, you know, I think of so many stories because I had, I have spoken to so many small business owners. And uh, one that really stood out to me was a florist that lost 90% of her business in in the year because obviously no one was getting married, right? So federal funds that were allocated to help small businesses, you know, Rhode Island businesses, what they received was pitiful. She said, you know, what am I going to do with a couple of thousand dollars when my rent, it doesn't even cover my rent. Mm. And then I still have rent the month after that and the month after that and the month after that. And then I've got all my obligations to my vendors. Wow. So, you know, thanks for the couple of thousand you threw my way, but that doesn't really help me. Um, and then of course, uh, the Senate Republican office highlighted small business after small business, um, that we're literally staying fighting to stay alive. I remember that. Yeah. No help. Almost uh, like on a weekly or daily basis, you guys were highlighting different restaurants and businesses that uh, were, were just doing whatever they could, making all kinds of yeah. sacrifices, borrowing money from people to, to try to stay afloat. It was one guy, I totally forgot about him, but he was saying that he already had to close down one restaurant and mm-hmm. he was holding on to one and he was going through his savings to pay his employees and his son, who's 18, who was saving his you know, money for college, or whatever, was giving money to his dad wow. so that he could stay afloat. And this is, I mean, these are the kind of stories that are multiplied dozens over, right. maybe hundreds of over, yeah. making all kinds of sacrifices. Um, all right, let's, uh, well, how would you rate that? Would you say that you guys have been successful at that or is this something we're still working on? Or We're still working on because we know that federal funds, even for Zamborano Hospital, um, we're waiting to see how we can allocate those funds. So this was still a bit of a question mark. All right. So work yet to be done. I know you guys continue to advocate for it, but of course there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of politics at play here right. as well with federal funds. Okay. Uh, next let's look at the ballooning budget. Uh, Rhode Island has a gigantic budget, which you talked about in the state of the state and something that you were critical of. So let's play the clip. Fifth, Rhode Island's ballooning budget is unsustainable. As businesses and nonprofits suffered great losses last year, 
Rhode Island's outlandish budget grew to $13 billion. That's $13,000 for every man, woman, and child in our state. And while there are talks of new taxes, you can't squeeze water from a rock and you can't squeeze more money out of Rhode Islanders and businesses beleaguered by taxes, fees, and cumbersome regulations. Republicans call for state budget reform. We must end unsustainable spending practices while still protecting core government services. All right, Jessica, six months later, I'm sure we've been able to cut the budget in half. <laughs> no? Uh, Quarter? <laughs> 10%. Well, well, some of Give it me is, 10%. Some of it's already baked into the budget. So I, I don't think we can ever, no, I know that we can never cut it in half, but, um, you know, Rhode Island has 3.7 billion more in total spending than in 2019. Wow. Uh, there were some necessities that were uh, included in the budget, which was some spending for the department of children, youth and families, which we call DCYF, mm -hmm. which has been plagued with so many problems. And so there was some really, um, funding that needed to be diverted to DCYF. But so were there any, um, budget cuts to the, the budget this year or anything jump out at you? No, you're right. Yeah. So the question is, uh, this year seemed to be the, um, the, the, the year where the budget was cushioned because of all the federal funds that came in. So that kind of uh, maybe plugs some holes in the budget. Mm -hmm. So is this a, a case of, uh, you know, putting a Band-Aid on the wound For until sure. next year? Yeah. Okay. Next year's going to be, I think, brutal budget-wise. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. You know, we just never know from you. But I'm just looking at, we're not going to have federal funds, right? And we're not the federal government, Rhode Island. So we can't print money like the federal government does. Right. So all we can do is raise taxes. Um, so all right so ballooning we'll budget mm -hmm. uh more work to be done there yes okay uh not a lot a lot of opportunities to see cuts there instead we see the the budget just blowing up you said we added what 3.7 yeah. billion that's a, a staggering I remember number. we had some federal funds mm -hmm. and um we're going back in the fall reconvening to disperse more federal funds okay all right, so we'll see what the um, we'll see what the state of the state and the budget is next year. That uh, wait and see. So yeah. so far we're at uh, three out of five, but uh, you also said you wanted to talk about Zamborona Hospital. So yeah. let's play the clip and then we'll uh, we'll catch up with it. We also have a long history of inadequately funding core government services and departments like our Veterans Home, Zamborona Hospital, and DCYF. Just like our family budget. Our state must put its needs before its wants. Okay, Jessica, walk us through Zamborona Hospital. Give us an update. So I said there were five points, but then I snuck a few extras in. And um, we were talking about needs versus wants. And if you want to watch the full uh, State of the State response, we'll add a link in the description um, when we put it up on the uh, Facebook page and whatever. But uh, it's only like eight and a half minutes. It's uh, pretty short and, and to the point. But... I mentioned Zamborona Hospital, and boy, let me tell you, if I had known what um, would have been just down the road a few months uh, later after the uh, state of the state, I would have it would have been more than a quick mention. But Zamborano, if you haven't had the chance to follow what's happening, the facility is in a dilapidated state, and it's a really a danger to residents. And um, and this hospital is a uh, I don't want to say shelter of last resort, but it is a uh, a care provider for residents in our state that have no place to go. Their families are not equipped to take care of them. There's no nursing home in the state that care that can care for them. These are people with like acute medical issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe brain damage or right. or um, severely handicapped. So they, they have no other place to go. And this hospital is a necessity for these people. It is. It is. Your, your assessment is absolutely correct. Um, so what I, what I keep saying is that Rhode Island has a record of proposing these new spending initiatives, these new programs, um, but ignoring uh, issues like Zamborano hmm. um, that I argue are at core government functions. Like Zamborano cares for the most vulnerable and those who do not have the means to, right. um, you know, there's, right. it, it, like you said, the hospital last resort. Right. Earlier you were talking about the budget and how there's a lot of the money is baked into the budget. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just cut things because it means, you know, eliminating something like Zamborano hospital or cutting the spending there. Sure. Uh, so this and some would, of it is matched by federal dollars, you know, like a federal, like federal money might come in $1 right. and match. Uh, exactly. Make it $5, a Rhode Island $10, dollar. Exactly. right. Uh, of federal funds. Right. Um, so th this is one of those services that just should not be touched. It has to be funded every single year. Um, but you don't, uh, you don't see the funding there. You don't see the interest there. What's your concern about Zamborano? Well, at the time, the, the information hadn't come to light yet, what was happening on this closure of the hospital. And um, so, you know, now here we are six months later and we're, we're knee deep in information on what, um, what the plan was for Zamborano under the previous administration. But uh, I don't want to keep it too long because our podcast is coming to a close. So I do want to mention uh, also DCYF because um, DCYF, long before I even became a senator, Representative Mike Chippendale Foster has spearheaded the he's fight. He's actually the whip in the House, the he minority is. whip. Yeah, so the, he's your counterpart right. in the House, also a Republican, mm -hmm. also a big with the Second Amendment community. Yes. Um, awesome. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. He's a great resource for me whenever mm -hmm. I want to run an idea by him. He's he's always made himself available. Really good guy. Um, and I respect him immensely. But so Rep Chippendale, well before I was elected, um, has been, again, spearheading this uh, initiative to fully fund DCYF because they've been underfunded and they've been plagued by problems as well. And I just want to say, you know, they're Zambrano, DCYF, the Veterans Home, they're under state um, administration, but the state hasn't done a very good job mm. of administrating or administering um, these facilities. Mm. And so we need to do a much better job. And it really makes me kind of weary of of trusting right. really Rhode Island government with and not just the anything. facilities, but the entire departments, the entire you know, departments it, and we, how they're run. I've ha had a chance to see firsthand how you've been critical of the administration at Zamborona hospital, because, um, while the nurses and many of the caregivers are, are doing an excellent exactly, job, exactly. the administrators, uh, I, I don't know if it's they're inept or they're just not experienced in this. They, but or they got the job because of a friend or because knows? they know, I don't, yeah. I really couldn't tell you, but you're, and I'm glad you brought that up because the, those frontline, uh, workers, the, the, um, uh, nurses, the nurses, but the, yeah. the social workers, that's the mm -hmm. word I was looking for. Social workers at DCYF, those individuals, they're doing a great job and they're doing what they can with the little that they have. So I just wanted to, to mention uh, DCYF there. So it's interesting though, that in our state, a lot of people will complain about, you know, the, the roads and the bridges. So that would be department of transportation. Mm -hmm. They'll um, complain about the DMV. Um, but 
when we're talking about as absolutely essential services, you almost have to prioritize them. And for you, you would say Zambrona Hospital, DCYF, these should be at the the Veterans top of the home. priority, yep. Veterans Home, because mm -hmm. these are really caring for people, not uh, bridges. Bridges are important, roads are important, but uh, these departments have been tasked with caring for people and in many cases, the most uh, vulnerable members right. of our society. We have a lot of needs, mm -hmm. right? There are needs across the state. People want childcare because they want um, individuals might find it expensive. And it is, childcare is very expensive. But if I have to choose between childcare and say DCYF, you know, it, it comes down to we have finite resources. Right. And so we have to choose which which um, departments need it most. Right. And this is why you're so critical of new spending initiatives. Right. Like, uh, of course, we want kids to go to college for free. But yeah, can we afford that? No, we right? can't. No. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Right. You're an able-bodied individual who can go to CCRI for two years and you can, you know, have a part-time job or take out student loans. And then because you're able-bodied, you can pay those loans off. Whereas there are individuals that are the, uh, you know, the veterans home or again, Zamborano or DCF, they cannot. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, again, thank you so much for saying that. It's not that we don't want to fund these programs because they're good programs, but we don't have the funding right. for it. All right. You want to put a ribbon on this podcast? Yes. How would you describe the state wait, of the state? Wait, one last thing. Oh, one more. What, but there's Bonus. more. But wait, yeah. Preserving voting laws. That was something that we had mentioned. Oh, right, yeah. right. And uh, there were individuals, I'm going to say progressive senators and reps that wanted to abolish like voter ID requirements, calling it racist because everything is racist nowadays, right? And they wanted to normalize pandemic voting and make it permanent. So thankfully, that was not the case. Um, our voting laws have remained as is. They have not been um, altered. That's good. You know, a lot of people maybe aren't paying attention to the news. So they think that uh, the voter ID laws have all eroded in Rhode Island and you don't need an ID in the future. But you're saying that was just something that was allowed because of the pandemic, but it's not normalized. It hasn't been, um, you know, put into state law that from now on you don't need an ID to vote. Right. The, whatever we did, whatever the Secretary of State um, allowed was because of the extenuating circumstances. Okay. Are but, you concerned at all that these extenuating circumstances might be drummed up again? I'm always concerned that that's, that's going to happen. Right. Right. Because um, the voting ID requirements, we should definitely do an episode just on that. And we'll, we'll talk about how it's actually not racist. But, um, and I ended my, my um, state of the state response for the Republicans by saying that I look forward to joining my Democrat colleagues. And that is still true today because the, the, these important issues need bipartisan support. So I'm happy to say that most of our checklist was checked off. That's nice. And that sounds like a good closing quote there, that you are <laughs> happy to work with your Democrat and independent colleagues. Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Church and State. Uh, this is really just for Rhode Island. So if this has been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with other people, let them know about it. I know there's a lot of media out there, but if you're looking for media from a more conservative angle, something a little more down to earth uh, from just regular people, I know we don't sound like regular people sometimes, <laughs> but we are. We are. Uh, we'd, uh, we'd appreciate it. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com.